Amen. Man, what an awesome day already, huh? Um, we've been talking about discipleship for the last seven months, and uh, we're kind of, I don't know, beginning to scratch the surface of it, I think. But, you know, today with the baptisms, I mean, this is what we're, we're all about. We're, we're seeing that there's a step of faith that God comes and meets with you. He changes your life. And then baptism is, I don't know if, if everybody understands it, you know, but from our perspective, our understanding of Scripture, um, baptism is that um, physical, tangible um, the, the witness to the world that, that you have done something symbolic, uh, which is that you're being dunked underwater um, to show that you have died uh, to your old way of life, to your sin, and that you've been raised when you come up out of that water into a new life. But what it is is a symbol of a spiritual reality. The re- spiritual reality is that when you put your faith in Jesus, um, then your sin is washed away. And you have been given a new life. And so Holy Spirit discipleship, what we're talking about today, is um, the, the real essence of what it means to be a Christian. When you say Christian, you're talking about a little Christ or somebody who, in, in how God sees them, is the visible uh, Christ on earth. And that sounds kind of weird, but it's, it's the Holy Spirit living in you, transforming you, changing you, and then living through you. And then the world sees that you are different. And so um, it's, a, it's an odd kind of reality that we live with because we understand that, um, that that relationship is hard to define. It's hard to understand that you have God living in you, that, that God himself has promised that if you will put your faith in Jesus, he will deposit um, a part of himself into you permanently and change you and, and make you a new creature and, and redefine your reality, who you are. Um, and so what happens is that in the church, because this is a little bit difficult um, to understand and, and we have these different extremes that we go to, um, we tend to be a little bit one way or the other with the Holy Spirit a lot of times. Uh, one way is that we're, we're so um, afraid to give up control that uh, we tend to make Christianity very academic. And it's really all about knowledge and rules and behaviors and legalism and control. And, uh, and the, the Spirit gets uh, very little um, uh, emphasis in, in some, some cases. Uh, and and that, I don't know if you've ever, you know, been part of a church like that or, or been part of a, a sense of, of seeing that where it's like the Holy Spirit's really not talked about much. And you're like, hey, where's, where's the Holy Spirit in this place? And it feels like a spiritually, uh, you know, almost dead place because it's not about the Spirit moving. It's really just about you understanding some things and behaving a certain way. And, and uh, that's how you're going to get saved and, and go to heaven. Um, that. That's an extreme that we want to avoid, right? There's another extreme, which is that um, faith and, and salvation and the Holy Spirit becomes uh, extremely and almost predominantly experiential, that it's all about experience, it's all about emotion. You have to have some kind of a feeling, and when you have that feeling, then you're good, and if you don't have that feeling, then you're not good, and, and we want people to almost 
be driven towards like an emotional experience in the, the worship, which we do want to have a heartfelt worship, right? We do want to have that, but it's almost to the degree that it has to be driven um, to a point where people, you know, have this experience and then it doesn't really have a lot to do with truth or with understanding or relationship or obedience or anything. It's just if you have an experience, that's what we're after and, and you're good to go. And what we want to do is we want to avoid those two extremes, but we don't want to necessarily balance them because coming to a balance isn't necessarily the point. The point is we want to have a mature relationship with the Holy Spirit. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to relate to Him. He wants you to have an experience with Him, but He also wants you to have understanding. And so we're going to come to, I hope, a place of faith, understanding, maturity, growth, leading to um, a relationship, a mature, developing relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so let's stand as we read God's Word this morning. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. And, uh, you know, if you know much about Corinthians, you know that Paul is correcting um, a lot of different, you know, false or wrong ideas and wrong behaviors with the, the Corinthian church. And, and here's another teaching that he gives them. He says, Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them, because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you were willing, you were um, more than willing uh, to give us your spirit, to change us, to impart to us your heart, your mind, uh, a new life, to welcome us into a relationship with yourself that would change our, our, not only our life on this earth, but our destiny for eternity. Um, Lord, we give you right now um, our heart, our, our attention, um, our willingness, our obedience, Lord, just to hear what you have to say, what you want to communicate, what you want to reveal about yourself, um, how you want to use that for our growth, for our um, improvement, for our witness, for uh, our peace, for our encouragement, for our conviction, whatever you want to do, Lord, we're, we're ready to hear from you. We, 
Um, we want to be submissive and yielding to your spirit, guiding us into truth, guiding us into wisdom, guiding us into a new life. And Lord, we pray that as you do that, you would uh, expand powerfully your influence in this place, through this place, to the world, that uh, the world would know that there is a Savior and that you are, you are in love with your people. You, you love us deeply, dearly, and uh, you love to make yourself known through us, Lord. And we're pretty weak in, in, in doing that, and yet um, you still are patient and gracious with us um, to continue, to persevere, uh, to bring us to that place uh, that you created us to occupy. So we will give you praise, Lord. We thank you for this day, and we pray that you'd make the most of it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul um, begins to say something that um, could be, might be hard to understand um, he says that there's this wisdom that um, the world had before the Messiah came. And this is what we want to try to understand. I was, I was researching, you know, this idea, this understanding of what does it really look like for the Holy Spirit to be actively working in the world before a person becomes a Christian, before they accept Christ? What, what is the, the work and the nature and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and so as I was walking through all these passages talking about this, um, it, it became evident that what Paul was talking about here was that there was this hidden wisdom of God um, that the world didn't really understand. He says that um, it was decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so what's going on is that the Jewish people and the Roman government basically conspired together to crucify Jesus. And what is apparent is that the, the movement and the ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout the, the history of the world, throughout the Old Testament, through the prophets, through the kings, through uh, all the things that God had revealed in his word, uh, that was available to the world to understand who Jesus would be or who the Messiah would be. But the world in, in general had rejected that idea, had rejected the salvation that God had planned and prepared and had revealed. And so it, w it wasn't this secret little mystery that Paul is saying that, that we're going to spring on you at you know, some point, and if you're really smart and if you really pay attention, then, then you'll get to know this. What he's saying is that the mystery, uh, the, the secret, so-called secret, is Jesus, but Jesus has been revealed from the very beginning. He was revealed all the way through, and he was revealed, uh, obviously, manifestly, in his ministry when he came as a baby, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and rose to conquer death for you and me. So that's the mystery. And the Holy Spirit's working throughout the ages was to help people to come to a place of understanding that. Now, there's two things that you have to understand about how the Holy Spirit works generally in the world um, apart from or regardless of you and me as Christian people, as believers, okay? 
the, the Holy Spirit has a ministry in the world that, that uh, is allowing for or enabling people to come to a place of faith. That if they would, if they would receive God's word and his truth, they would come to the same place that you and I, who, who are believers in Christ, are right now. How this works, you have to go to um, 2 Thessalonians to kind of get a little bit more of a picture of what's going on. Uh, 2 Thessalonians, as a lot of people know, is, is a little bit about the end times, about uh, the tribulation, the things that are going to happen uh, in the end. Uh, but it says this in 2 Thessalonians 2, and starting in verse 3, it says, Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, okay, and he's talking about the return of Christ, he's talking about the tribulation, he's talking about the end of time, but he says that that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Um, because there were people in the Thessalonian church that were really concerned that Jesus had already returned and that they had missed it. And they were kind of freaking out because they thought they had missed their chance. You know, the train had left the station and they were stuck with their ticket and they didn't get on. And so Paul's like, okay, guys, don't worry. When Jesus comes back, you're going to know it. Like, it's not going to be secret. It's not going to be just for a few people. Uh, he says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. It's talking about the Antichrist, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now. Now, just pay attention to that word restraining. So that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power, false signs, and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness." Now, take a step back from that for a second, and what you are seeing in the big picture is that the Holy Spirit, His activity in the world is doing basically two things. One, right now, He is restraining sin, generally. And you think, I mean, I don't know about you, you look around, you're like, is He really, or is He just not doing a really good job at that? Because it seems like there's a lot of, of immorality, there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of lawlessness, a lot of crime, a lot of poverty, a lot of difficulties, a lot of contention, division in the world. Like, how much is he restraining this lawlessness or sin in the world? Because it doesn't seem like the world's a, a very uh, sinless place, does it? But if you understand how bad it can and will be, then you understand that he is restraining. Like, crime, abuse, Harm, um, you know, being, being assaulted is the exception, not the rule. When you walk out of this place today, we don't think that I have a 99% chance of being assaulted, right? You think I have a very small chance of being assaulted, that uh, it's really unlikely that that would happen. It does happen in places. It does happen at times. But it's, it's the exception, not the rule. But when the Holy Spirit removes his restraint, what's going to happen is it, that will be the rule. Everyone will be attacking, and their lawlessness will run rampant. 
people's consciences will, will not prevent them from doing harm to other people for, for any reason. Nothing will prevent them or, or restrain them from, from assaulting somebody if they just see something they want or if they just don't like somebody or don't like the way you looked at them or, or anything. And you think about it, the other part of that is it's not just that you as this innocent bystander would go outside and somebody might attack you, but you yourself would have the desire and the unrestraint to want to attack other people. And, and this, this unrestraint, this, this sense of, of sin and lawlessness and pain and fear and crime and, and all the rest of it, this sin running rampant is what the end times is, is pointing forward to, that when the Holy Spirit is removed. This is why, and I don't want to get into a whole debate about you know the uh, rapture and all that, but the Holy Spirit is working generally in the world to restrain sin and evil. The, the church also is part of that process because you as a committed believer in Christ have a set of morals and values and ethics that we live by that prevents you from doing what the rest of the world does. So if that restraint is removed, then you would think that you also would need to remove the church in order to fully let this sin have its, its, its full judgment. But, again, that's a, an arguable point. It's a debatable issue, and I'm not going to get into it. But here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to be removed. But the other side of it is, right now, the Holy Spirit is moving, working, acting, um, restraining. There's conscience. There's law. There's a sense of a responsibility to um, the fact or the idea that you could be prosecuted for crimes that you commit. You also have a inner sense of, of some kind of goodwill towards your fellow man, that, that you, you believe that the people have value, and it's not just all about you getting what you want. But other people have some kind of value, some inherent worth that you're not going to necessarily go in and attack or abuse just, just because. So all those things are the work and the activity and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the other th thing is that the Holy Spirit is right now revealing truth generally to the world. So, so people have access to the truth of the gospel. And in our context, okay, in the United States of America in the 21st century, the, the reality is that the Bible is everywhere. Would you agree? I mean, everywhere you look, that you could get a Bible. You, I mean, there are hundreds of Bibles in this room. You could take one with you if you want or need one, and you're welcome to. They're, they're all over the place, all over the internet. Uh, the Bible is on the air. It's on TV. It's on the radio. It's, it's, it's available in your, you know, hotel room that you go to. I mean, the Bible is everywhere, and yet, I want you to think about this. Do you agree that the Bible is, is pretty prevalent in this country? Now, let me, let's think about this. How strong is biblical literacy? How much of the Bible does the average person know in this country? If you were to walk down the street and just ask a few simple Bible questions, how many people would be able to answer them? And I'm, I'm just going to say that the majority, the majority of people uh, in this country who have complete access to the Bible also are ignoring it. 
almost completely. And so what Paul is saying here in Second Thessalonians about um, they're perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved, therefore God sends them a strong delusion. That's a very difficult thing to understand because it's like, well, God is not a liar. In fact, God cannot lie and God would not lie. And so therefore, what do you mean God would send them a delusion? And what it means is that as the Holy Spirit is beginning to be restrained, as he is removed from his ministry in the world, what happens is that while the Holy Spirit is actively working before the tribulation, um, it's like the lights are on and the book is open. And you're welcome to read it. In fact, you're invited to read it. But a lot of people are refusing to. They want nothing to do with it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear you talk about it. When you begin to talk about your faith, they get upset. When they, they hear you spouting the Bible, they're like, oh, you're a Bible thumper, right? You're, you're intolerant. You're, I don't want to hear about your faith. You, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. And don't tell me about your thing. We used to have a little bit more mutual respect with what people believed and how they you know, would talk about what they believed. Now it's like we don't want, we don't want to hear what people believe. We've become very compartmentalized and divided. And uh, what's going on, though, is that the Bible is still available. People are refusing to, to see, hear, and understand. When the Holy Spirit is restrained or when, when the Holy Spirit is, in some sense, removed... What's going to happen is the book is still there, but the lights are off. There's no illumination. You, you could find the book, but there's no way to understand it. And, and even that's a mystery because in the end times, we know that there will be people who will be witnessed to by the 144,000 uh, Jewish people who come to faith in Christ and will begin to proclaim the gospel and Somehow, even in that type of a state, a scenario, there will be people that will respond somehow. It's, it's uh, very interesting to try to work all these things out and figure out how it's going to happen. But the point is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit now is available. He's here. He's working. He's moving. He's compelling. He's illuminating truth. He's He's guiding people into faith. He's drawing people to a relationship with God. And the, the scary thing, the, the dangerous thing, is that as people hear that, they still are rejecting it. As the Spirit is calling, and, you, and I almost guarantee this, I, I don't, I'm not you, so I don't know exactly how everybody thinks or feels, but I almost guarantee that there are people from week to week who sit in the, the chair that you're sitting in and feel like God is calling them out of their despair, their lack of faith, their disfellowship with God. They feel that, and then they turn away and they say, but no, I'll, maybe next time. And what the Word says is that today is the day of salvation. You cannot put it off you should not put it off. You need to respond as the Lord is available because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen when you walk out the doors. You don't know what's going to happen in a week or in a month or in a year. We can hope and think that maybe we'll have another chance or whatever, but we don't know. And I think what Second Thessalonians is calling us to is to say, while he's moving, while he's available, be open right? 
So in um, Ephesians, the, he gives this, this basic process, how this works. Uh, we believe the Holy Spirit is actively working um, generally in the world. And then it, it says this in Ephesians 1.13, in him, Jesus, okay, he's talking to Christians, you also, um, when you heard the truth, okay, so as, the, as the, the word of God or the gospel was proclaimed, you heard that truth, the Holy Spirit was moving, calling, um, drawing you, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed him. You believed him. So... The word was preached, you believed it, and then it says, then you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit came through this very simple process. He's moving, he's calling and drawing you, the, the word gets preached, you hear it, you believe that it is true. And by a simple act of, yes, Lord, he says, you're, di- you're now changed, you're different. I have sealed and saved you for all eternity. That is the the culmination of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, actively working, you receiving it, and now coming together into a a different life. So what happens then when you uh, receive the Holy Spirit like that, it's it's interesting because what we saw in in 1 Corinthians was that the unspiritual person couldn't really understand it, but he did have the availability or the opportunity to, under, to understand it if he would come to faith. But then he becomes a spiritual person when he responds to the message. And so Second Peter says uh, this. He says, his divine power okay, has granted to us all things, that God has divine, this divine power that he has granted to uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So he's proclaiming the truth, he's, he, his power is available, and uh, he's calling you into it, and by which he's granted us this precious, great promises, so that through them, see, God says, you, you don't have to hope that this is true, you don't have to uh, question whether or not I'm going to be good enough to, to make it into heaven. He says, I've promised that if you will receive my son, you will be saved. Okay, that is a, a promise by God that he will keep. Because he's God, he will not break his promise to you. So what you're putting your faith in is not in your strength, your ability, your knowledge, your understanding, your willingness to, to be good enough. None of, it's I am banking and, and um, putting my strength or my, my faith into what God has said, what he has determined, and then he's going to fulfill his promise. And then it says this, so that you become partakers of the divine nature. He, he puts his Holy Spirit in you. He basically says, I'm going to make you different. You're going to become spiritual. You're going to become a new person in Christ. Because now this sinful human being that has been forgiven is not just a forgiven sinful human being. It's now a person that uh, Christ lives in and has changed. I'm a, I'm a new person. So here's what I, I have to tell you, um, and I know this isn't probably um, hugely popular, but there is this uh, thing that's been happening for years and years and years. People will claim to be spiritual, right? You ever heard somebody say, I, I'm not a Christian, I don't go to church, but I am spiritual, right? And uh, listen, I understand that. 
to a degree. I understand the idea because I, I feel that way too in, in a way of like, I don't like religion. I don't, I'm not really big on like the institutional stuff and the ceremonies and the like, that, that kind of stuff to me is like, it's in the way a lot of time, right, of, of a relationship with the Lord. Um, but the problem is that sometimes people will say that they're spiritual without Christ, and they're, they're, they have a relationship with God without Jesus, and what that means is that they're, um, they're investing in an evil spirit. First John tells us that you have to discern between spirits. There are different spirits. There's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will always lead you to glorify Christ and acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior. If you do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, and yet you're spiritual, then what kind of spirit are you dealing with? It's a demon, or it's, or it's an evil spirit, or it's the devil, or whatever you want to call it, but it's not God. And there are people that are so-called spiritual, um, and I believe that they, they really are, in, in one sense, spiritual, but they're, they're deceived. Because if it's the Holy Spirit, it's going to lead them into Christ. And so the Holy Spirit living in you makes you spiritual, makes you understand the things of God's will and his word. And so there are several things that will happen um, immediately when you receive Christ. The first thing that uh, will begin to happen, it says that you are sealed. You, you love that you're sealed for eternity, that, that God has placed his seal on you, meaning that you belong to him. Now, what should happen is that as you grow and mature in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, your, your uncertainty of your salvation should, dec should decrease. Okay? Your confidence will increase. Your, your peace with God and your sense that you're going to go to heaven will grow. And your uh, concern that you're not good enough or that you're not saved or that you're fearful of what's going to happen when you die, that should decrease. Now, I've said this before, but you have to understand that that is not a qualification for salvation. In, in other words, if you're still concerned or you still have some fear about dying, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means that you need to grow in your relationship with the Lord, okay? But as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, your fear of death decreases and your confidence of, of your eternal nature and your eternal state should increase. And if you want that confidence and that peace to grow, then it, it really is just a matter of developing and growing and maturing in your relationship with the Lord. You can't get there by just, just trying to convince yourself. You can't get there immediately. It doesn't happen just overnight. You can't just tell yourself one thing and then, okay, I'm never going to fear, fear that again. This is why we oftentimes talk about the reality that you oftentimes will have to go through near-death experiences, um, health crisis, or something else to actually show you where you're at. Because once you go through those moments and you realize, I have an immense peace, I am not fearful of death, I've walked right to the edge, and I've seen that for me... I know where I'm going. We don't want anybody to put themselves there ever, but it does reveal where you're at sometimes. And some of you have been there. You know, like I was at that point and I didn't think I was going to make it, but here I am. And now because I went through that with such peace and I know where I'm going, I'm not dreading dying someday. 
So that should grow. That seal should become uh, more and more confidence. Um, another thing happens is that you will become um, convicted of sin, right? The Holy Spirit convicts you about sin, um, that there are things that you do, things that you think, things that you say, experiences that you've had, uh, etc., where the Holy Spirit begins to say that that is not godly. And, and the reason why the Holy Spirit will always convict you of sin and make you feel bad about things that are not godly is because the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit is, is not pleased with things that are, are not godly and not Christ-like and not holy. And so it begins to stir up in you this sense like, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Now, if you don't know the word, what might happen is you become... Um, angry at yourself, or you might become depressed, or you might become fearful. But the Word says that if you confess and you repent, then you are brought right back into fellowship. God is faithful to cleanse you, to forgive you immediately. And you don't have to live like beating yourself up all the time that I've messed up and you know, I'm never going to get it right. Like The Holy Spirit brings that to your attention so that you can bring it to God and leave it there once and for all, and, and step away back into fellowship, back into peace. You don't have to keep drumming it up, right? But he will convict you. And as you grow more and more mature, the thing that tends to happen is the more sensitive you are to smaller and smaller sins. And I know we don't, you know, comparisons to each other, they're all the same, etc. But the reality is that as you grow in, in your walk with the Lord and become more sensitive, the things that you know, were big sins before, they're not even in your life anymore, but there are still little attitude checks, a word here, a look there that he begins to like deal with you about, that before you would have thought nothing of it. He just, he's getting down to the nitty gritty in your life, right? A few of you are like, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it can feel overwhelming, but again, the, the beautiful thing about it is that it's a refining process. What he's doing is he's making you, and as individual and uniquely designed as you are, as God created you to be, he's making that person more like Christ. He's, he's bringing you to the full completion of how God actually intended you to be. One day, when we go to heaven, we'll be exactly what we're supposed to be. Amen? That's going to be an awesome thing. In the right now, it's a process, and we're moving towards maturity. We're never going to be perfect in this world, but we will move to maturity, I hope. And then he says that um, he will reveal the truth. He's the spirit of truth. Uh, this is uh, John 16. Uh, just as a reference, this is one of the great chapters about the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth, and so what happens is his ministry generally, before you become saved, is to make this available to you. Then, when you receive the Holy Spirit and you're saved, this becomes alive to you. It jumps off the page and it begins to be real and relevant, and you're beginning to feed on it. Jesus says that man does not live by bread alone. He lives on the Word of God, the, every word that comes from his mouth. And you begin to feel like this is... This is my 
sustenance. I need this daily. I need to feed on it. I need to know what his word says, and I need to just spend some time in it on a daily basis because it begins to change how I feel, how I think, what I'm doing. Um, it makes God more alive and, and real and relevant and all these different things. And the Holy Spirit begins to take his word and really just feed it to you. And it's an amazing thing that he does. Now, one of the things that you have to understand, again, is that we're not presumptuous about that. We do still need to be diligent about study. Okay, we need to get into the history, the background, the words, what they mean, how, how they were translated. We need to get into Bible studies with each other, talk about the meanings of things. It can be dangerous for a presumptuous Christian to have the Bible and never talk to anyone else about what it means and just say, well, whatever comes to mind must be what it means because you can make up a lot of stuff. So we have to come to another place where the Holy Spirit has always intended to draw us into fellowship, okay? So he, he's revealing the truth, but he's going to do it in the context a lot of the time with other Christian people. And here's one of the things that we don't talk about a lot, and maybe, maybe I've misunderstood it for a long time. I said this last week. I didn't really get into too much of it, but when you do personal devotions, that's an important thing. Like, when we say that, we say quiet time, alone, you know, in, in your study, in your office, in your... Um, in your living room, wherever you, you know, you get a quiet little place that is really for you and the Lord and you're praying, you're reading the Bible or, you know, and other devotional things. That's great. But when we come together in the context of the church, one of the things that we've misunderstood um, is that we, we continue to, to bring that concept of personal devotional time into what this is supposed to be. So a lot of people come to church and they say, if that time that I'm with you know, God's people worshiping and, and hearing the, the word, if it's not as good or meaningful um, or as uh, you know, joyful an experience as what I have privately and alone, then maybe I don't need to be in the context of the church. Right? We were, we were talking about that in, in uh, last week in the sense of nature. We love to be out in nature and we experience God when we're you know, out, uh, outside and, and all those things. And, and that's, that's true. Um, but there's something different happening here. It's not just about you personally having a nice experience. What happens in the context of the church, it, it should help you and grow you and motivate you and inspire you. But it's, it's more than that. It's something bigger than just your personal experience. It's actually the manifestation of the, of the body of Christ. That when we worship together, when we hear God's word together, when we're praying together, that somehow, mysteriously, Jesus says, that's my body. That's my body on earth. And we can say we don't love the institutional church and all the rest of it, but we don't have the right to tell God that he made a mistake about what he planned and determined about what the church was supposed to be. And maybe every church isn't exactly as it's supposed to be. I get that. And this church isn't exactly as it's supposed to be either. But 
This is what God has intended, that Christian people come together and they worship God and they glorify God. And it's really about him being honored and the world seeing that there is a, an embodiment of Jesus Christ on the earth. They may not understand that, but there is a platform and there is a, a time and a place for people to come and hear and see who Jesus is. And it's the church. And so what happens in this context is there's teaching, there's also some rebuke, there's encouragement, there's conviction, there's uh, a, a refining of what we know and understand together, but the Holy Spirit is, is molding us, joining us, forming us together to be His hands and feet on the earth. And then from here, individually, we spread out into the world and we become individual witnesses. Now, let me say this. And you're like, yeah, you're saying whatever you want. But when we're together, we are the church. That's what the word means, gathered together. When we leave here, I'm going to tell you something you're not going to like. You're not the church anymore. You are our witnesses. You're ambassadors. But you're not the church because you individually are going to go out and you're going to represent Christ. The church is gathered. That's what it means, is to come out of the world and come together to be a gathering. That is the term church. And we need both. We need the church to disperse, but we also need the church to gather. And when you go and you disperse and you're a witness to the people around you, what happens is you share your faith, you impress people with the understanding of, of what it means to be a different kind of person in the world, and then you invite them to a personal faith, but you also invite them to become part of a body that will keep them growing, maturing, connected to who Jesus is in the context of how we're doing this together. And it's, it's complicated. I can't possibly define it in, in five minutes. Um, but that's part of what the Holy Spirit does, is he draws us to fellowship with each other. Now, the last thing, um, the Holy Spirit, and this isn't the last thing. It's just the last thing I'm going to tell you. <laughs> You're like, thank goodness. He empowers you to serve. He gives you a gift to serve the body. That's part of it. But he empowers you to live a godly life. And here's the deal. And maybe that's the culmination of all the different things that he does. But he empowers you to live a godly life because being a Christian is, is two things, okay? One thing is that you are theologically, okay, positionally, God sees you. He sees his son in you. Like there's a, there's a change that's happened on the inside that, that you may not even be able to detect. And so because of, of the reality of the Holy Spirit living in you, God sees Christ in you. That means that when you die, you're going right into to heaven, okay, by the grace of God. But God also is growing you to become more like Christ on the earth, that it's, it's not just that I'm saved because of what Jesus did. I'm also saved to become like Jesus was and is. My, my character is changing. My mind is changing. My life is changing. My words are changing. My desires are changing. They're, they're growing. They're maturing. They're becoming more like Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you 
to become more Jesus-like in, in the earth. And, and so your relationship with the Holy Spirit is, is all-encompassing. It, it's it's the, the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And so we don't want to presume too much, but we also don't, don't want to ignore uh, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We, we need to grow and develop that relationship. And through the Word of God, through prayer, through worship and fellowship with each other, through obedience, I mean, these things begin to, to form the person that God has created, designed, and intended for you to be. Amen? Lord, we love you. We thank you that we have such an awesome opportunity. Lord, uh, there were many years where people of faith um, were not given what we were given. They had to perform sacrifices and they had to go long distances to pour out blood for their sin. And uh, Lord, you poured out your your son's blood once and for all that we can have a relationship with you unrestricted. And then you put your Holy Spirit in us, Lord, and, and draw us close. And Lord, we, we thank you for that. Lord, help us not to ever neglect uh, to praise you for all that you've done. But Lord, I also pray that you would draw us deeper into our walk, into our spiritual walk, into our relationship with you, Father. Develop it, grow it, mature it. Um, Lord, help us to grow together as your body and as your family. And as we do that, Lord, I'm praying for those who are looking at this from the outside. And um, Lord, I, I pray, I hope that they see something that they want, that they're ready to respond to, that they want to be part of. Yeah, and I believe your spirit is moving in their heart right now. So I, I pray that you would do all that, that um, is in your will and your power to do. But also, Lord, would you help them to want it? Would you draw them? Would you just invite them and let them know that they're loved? And that as soon as they receive and, and accept what you've offered through Christ, Lord, there's no difference. They're, they are in the family. They are a part of the body like anybody else immediately. Thank you for that. And we'll just give you praise for all that you want to do, Lord. Bless this day in Jesus' name. As always, the altar is what we say, a place for things to die. Sometimes that's uh, a conviction, a sin that you just want to lay down. Sometimes it's your life that you need to receive Christ and you want to just lay it down and say, God, I, I need you and I want you. Um, whichever it is, we're here for you. We want to pray for you. Um, but we invite you to respond to the Lord as he calls you. Let's stand and sing.